On that note, let's stand. And in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of disappointments, God has spoken. So if you would stand and open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 22. We stand in honor of the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our creator, our redeemer, who speaks through his word. It's good, isn't it, to have the word of God. Let's read Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters. For it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went 
until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled that in the midst of our trials and disappointments that you would speak to us, that you would be working in our lives. I pray that as we hear your word preached to us, that we would identify with the struggles, the questions, and even the bitterness that is laid out in this passage. And that we would hear from you and turn to you as our hope in bitter times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In fact, one of the most important lessons we've been learning so far in this series, and we've only been in it for two weeks now. This is our third Sunday. So if you just come today, listen, no big deal. You're going to get caught up here, and I I hope you'll come for the remainder of the series. But one of the most important lessons we've learned so far is if you want to find hope in a disappointing world, then turn to God. You may be asking, well, why is that? Well, as we've seen, because God is always at work in the worst of times. God is always working, even when we don't see it. He's always working behind the scenes to accomplish His purposes, His redemptive purposes for mankind. And that's a glorious thing. Now, this lesson here, this overriding theme of the book of Ruth, is not apparent to Naomi at first. In fact, this is a lesson that, w- that Naomi, let's just say it this way, as you read the first chapter, Ruth, this is a lesson that Naomi had to learn the hard way. It was a lesson that she had to learn through a process of time. Well, I can identify with Naomi in that, right? Uh, God wants to teach us things, and sometimes we don't learn the lesson right up front, right in the beginning. It takes a little time, and we have to go through some difficulties to learn the lessons God wants for us. And, and that's what we're going to find out for Naomi's life here. Before we get into that, let me ask a question. How many of you enjoy, you enjoy uh, sitting outside the evening time on your porch, or if you have the deck on the back of your house, and you, and you just enjoy taking a moment at the end of the day, to just kind of relax, either by yourself, maybe with your spouse, maybe even with your kids, although I sit out there, I want to get away from my kids, and sit out there with my wife. My wife and I, we enjoy that. We enjoy sitting, especially in weather like this. Beautiful last night again, just to sit on your deck, maybe with a glass of iced tea or Coke, whatever your favorite beverage is, and just sit for a moment. Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 20 minutes, an hour, whatever time can afford you. And, uh, and, and my wife and I, we thoroughly enjoy that, but I have to admit, there's one thing that can just ruin that moment. There's one thing that can just drive us back into our house faster than anything else while my wife and I are sitting out on our deck. You want to know what that one thing is? Mosquitoes, you got it. Those nasty little critters that kind of buzz around your head, and you're just, they're trying to bite you and suck the life out of you. 
and you're chewing them and you can't get rid of them. And they will send us back into the house quicker than anything. In fact, my wife, God bless her, she's like a mosquito magnet. It's like her body smell just, you know, attracts them. And, and she can douse all the, the insect repellent on her whole body. And it's like it makes it worse. I don't know what the deal is with her. It must be her, her aroma. It's an attraction to the mosquitoes. Well, Naomi, in the same way, there are kind of moments in life when God's pursuit of us seems like a persistent mosquito constantly buzzing around our heads and causing us pain and we're utterly helpless to kind of shake him off. And Naomi was thinking of God in those terms at this point in her life. God's brought me nothing but pain. He's around me. I know he's there and I can't get rid of him. And who could blame her for viewing God somewhat in this way? I mean, after leaving Bethlehem for Moab, Naomi ends up trading famine for funerals. In fact, verse 5 sums up Naomi's life when it says both Malin and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. That's where she's at in life. She's devastated. She's grieving. She's widowed. She's lost everything. A famine, a move to Moab, the death of her husband, and then the death of her two sons. For Naomi, the road to nowhere was a dead end with tragedy and more tragedy. So now what? Well, no doubt Naomi's heart, as you can imagine, is filled with disappointment in life. Not only disappointment with life, but she feels like God has just abandoned her. God is nowhere to be found. Where is God in the middle of all this? So how will she respond to such devastating grief and disappointment in her life? Well, that question brings us to an important principle. Notice it here coming up on the screen. And that principle is this. Our response to disappointment in life will determine our walk with the Lord. Our response to disappointment in life will determine our walk with God. Now, in this first chapter of Ruth, we learned there are basically four different ways in which we can respond to disappointments in life. Last Sunday, we looked at Elimelech's life. And and like Elimelech did, when there was this famine in the land, when we feel God has totally abandoned us, we can respond with disobedience. And if we choose that response, we will suffer the consequences just as his family is now suffering those consequences, in particular his wife Naomi. We can choose to respond with disobedience. Next Sunday we'll look at how Ruth and Orpah respond to the disappointment in their life. But this morning our focus is on Naomi and how she responded to her disappointment in life. The moment when she feels like God has abandoned me. And it brings us to her own response. When we feel God has abandoned us, like Naomi, we can respond with despair. We can respond with despair. Now remember, Naomi's been away from home for a long time. Her husband and sons are dead. But folks, listen to me. God is not dead. God is at work in the worst of times. And just when you think all hope is lost, look what happens next in verse 6 of Ruth chapter 1. It says, Then she, speaking of Naomi, 
arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. You know what's going on here? God is working behind the scenes. God is at work in the worst of times, in the his people's life, the nation of Israel, but also in Naomi's life. God was gracious to Naomi. And this is the X factor we learned about last Sunday, the X factor of God's grace at work in her life. Now, the positive side about Naomi is, we can say up front here, is that Naomi, she left Moab and returned home to Bethlehem. She heard God was working, brought food back to Bethlehem, and she arises and leaves to go home. The negative is, she's returning to her land, but she's not necessarily returning to her Lord, at least not yet in her heart. So while Naomi responds to the news that there's food now in Bethlehem, by departing from Moab, her heart is so full of disappointment with God that she also responds with despair. We see her despair when she tells Ruth and Orpah at the end of verse 13, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And then her despair just erupts like a volcano when she says in verses 20 and 21, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, do you see what's going on in her heart? Do you see where her focus is? It's on herself and on her disappointment with God instead of on God and His deliverance from her disappointment. And that's the whole heart of the problem with Naomi here at this point in her life as it often is with us. When we focus on ourselves instead of on God, we will almost always respond with despair to our disappointments in life. Now, how does this play out in our own lives? What does this look like? What causes us, if you will, to respond with such despair? Well, like Naomi, we respond with despair when two things happen. Number one, notice it coming up. We respond with despair when, number one, we emphasize our emptiness, but not God's graciousness. When we emphasize our emptiness, but not God's graciousness. When Naomi left Moab for the land of Judah, her daughters-in-law went with her. In fact, look at verse 7, and it tells us, Therefore she, Naomi, went out from the place where she was. Where was she? She was in the land of Moab. And who and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law. So what we have here in verse 7 is, these three grieving widows set out on a 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem, and along the way they stopped to have a what? A conversation. they got to talk about this. I mean, it's three women, and that's what women do, right? They talk. In fact, it's interesting, of the 85 verses in the book of Ruth, you want to know how many of them are dialogue, conversations going on? 55 out of 85 verses. It's about conversation. Why? Because two of the main characters in the book are women, and that's what women do. So guys, when your wife wants to talk to you, 
She's being biblical. Talk to back to her. All right? You just got to go with it. Now, notice the conversation that takes place that Naomi has with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Verse 8, she says to them, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. In other words, Naomi is saying to her daughters-in-law, Go home. Look at me. I'm empty. I've got nothing for you. I've got no kids. I've got no money. I've got no future. So go home. I love you gals, and I appreciate they're willing to go with me, but this is not a good idea. And when you go back to Moab, listen, I hope you meet a nice Moabite boy. Get married. Make babies. And I hope the last chapter of your life is not a funeral. That's, in essence, what she's saying. And then at the end, verse 8, she says, then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And that's the other thing you notice about these three women. They're all crying. They're weeping. And rightfully so, because they're, they're grieving widows. So how does Ruth and Orpah respond to this first conversation of Naomi? Well, then they say to Naomi in verse 10, surely will we, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi comes back in verses 11 and 13 and says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm, I'm way too old to have a husband. And if I sh- should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were gone, grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? In other words, here's what Naomi's kind of saying. Ladies, again, I've got nothing for you. I am empty. You need a husband to take care of you. You don't need a widowed, a widowed old woman who will never get married again. And even if I would get married, and even if by a miracle of God I would have other sons, are you really going to wait 20 years for them to grow up so that you can marry them? No. So go back home. Go back to your families. Go back to your gods and find other husbands. Then notice what Naomi says next in verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, who does Naomi hold as ultimately responsible for the suffering, pain, and devastation that's gone, come upon her? God. But didn't Elimelech have something to do with this a little bit too when he chose to move his family to Moab? And yet Naomi knows that even if her husband is to blame, that God ultimately could have done something to stop the move. Now, how many of you can identify with Naomi at this point? You've thought to yourself, God, I know I've done this, and I've done that, and I know that they've done this and they've done that, but you should have showed up and you didn't. You should have showed up and stopped me from doing that and this but you didn't. You should have showed up and stopped my husband or my spouse or my kids from doing this and that, but you didn't. And so Naomi says at the end of verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That's a pretty good indication that right now, Naomi doesn't see God as a friend, but rather as a foe. He's dealt bitterly with me. He's made my life hard. 
And then Naomi ends this conversation by telling Ruth in verse 15, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and notice it's little g, return after your sister-in-law. Now, I don't know about you, but the obvious question that I want to ask, and hopefully it's being raised in your own mind, is this. Why? Why in the world would Naomi plead with her daughters-in-law to return to the land of Moab? Especially when she knows that God's blessing is on the land of Judah and his curse is on the land of Moab. I mean, if it was right for Naomi to go back to Bethlehem where the true and living God was blessing his people, then wouldn't it be right for Ruth and Orpah to go back as well? Or to at least go there for the first time? Instead, Naomi tried to influence her daughters-in-law to go back to their families and their false gods in Moab. Why? Why would she do this? Why did she try to turn back Ruth and Orpah? Well, I think there are two reasons. And and let me just say up front, God's word doesn't just come out and say, well, here's two reasons, number one, number two. This is, you know, as I study this and I look at this and and try to interpret and give application to, to what's going on in this narrative here, this story, here's two reasons that I think she's doing this. Notice number one, perhaps Naomi was trying to block out the memory of her past. You almost get the impression that Naomi didn't want to take Ruth and Orpah to Bethlehem because in many ways, get this, they were living symbols of what? Her family's tragic mistake. That's being kind, disobedience, sin of moving to Moab. They're living proof of it. It's almost as if Naomi is trying to cover up the sins of her family. She doesn't want to take them back to Bethlehem and bear the shame in front of her kinsmen, her family, her fellow Israelites. Think about it. Ruth and Orpah were Moabite women who by their very presence would be a constant reminder of her and everyone around her of her sin in abandoning the promised land and marrying her sons outside of God's covenant people. No wonder then that Naomi thought, hey, it's far better that everyone should just go back to their own families. But Naomi, think about it, she's only thinking of herself and her reputation at this point in time. And she's left out God and His grace in the process of her thinking. Isn't God's grace powerful enough to restore Naomi? Isn't God's grace powerful enough to redeem two Moabite women into his family? But all Naomi can think about is her own emptiness instead of God's graciousness. A second reason I think she tried to turn back these two women here is perhaps Naomi concluded she had nothing to offer Ruth and Orpah. She had nothing to offer them, but are you kidding me? I mean, get real here. Naomi has everything to offer Ruth and Orpah in Bethlehem. You see, Naomi, she thinks it's hopeless for her daughters-in-law to remain committed to her family name since she has no more sons for them to marry. Evidently, Naomi doesn't remember that there's another relative named Boaz who might perform the duty of a brother. 
And what she's referring to here is an Israelite custom. When the husband died, his brother or near relative would marry the widow and continue the brother's name. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25. But the best thing, listen to me, the best thing Naomi had to offer to her daughters-in-law was the true and living God and his grace. Although she prayed for God's kindness upon Ruth and Orpah's lives, listen, uh, some commentators believe that according to Israelite customs, such a prayer as what Naomi prayed may have been just a formal way to terminate the relationship. Or to even say goodbye, kind of like how we say, you know, in the Christian terminology, God bless you, Godspeed, may the Lord richly bless you, whatever the case may be. And it seems here, what Naomi's focus is, what she's concerned about, is Ruth and Orpah's physical well-being. Go find husbands so you can make it in life. Somebody will care for you instead of their spiritual condition. Why? Because that's what she's concerned about most in her life. Her physical well-being. She's thinking, how am I going to make it as a poor widow whose God is against me now? Do you see what Naomi is doing? She's having, folks, listen to me. She's, and we are so much like her. I know I am. She's having a pity party, and she didn't invite God to the party. There's a lesson here. There's a really good lesson here. When we, we've decided in our hearts that God is against me, what we tend to do is exaggerate our hopelessness and our emptiness and how bad our situation is. We become so bitter, we can't see the rays of light peeping through the clouds. Listen to me. It was God who broke the famine and opened the way home for Naomi. It was God who compels Ruth to stay with Naomi. And it was God who preserved a kinsman redeemer in Boaz. But Naomi is so focused on her own emptiness that she can't see God's grace at work in her own life and in the life of her people. We are so much like her at times. And that is not to say that her grief is not real. It's not to de-emphasize that. It's not to try to bury her grief in the reality of her pain and disappointment. But like Naomi, we respond with despair when we emphasize our emptiness and we forget all about God's graciousness working in our lives. There's a second reason why we respond with despair. When we feel God has abandoned us, and that is number two, when we emphasize our bitterness, but not God's goodness. When we emphasize our bitterness, but not God's goodness. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Naomi and Ruth's journey back to Bethlehem. We know no details of of the journey. It was a 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem, and we know nothing about it. We don't know if it was hard, easy, if they rode a camel back, or if they rode a jeepney back, or just, that's a play on words. For, for Jordan and Nikki's sake, they have jeepneys in Manila. And that's what you ride, transportation. We don't know how they got back. We know nothing. God wants us to focus instead. The focus is all on their arrival in Bethlehem. So now we come to verse 19. Look at it. Verse 19 says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. 
And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? In other words, if this had been happening today, all the bloggers would be going nuts right now. Writing on the blogosphere, it's Naomi, we haven't seen her in a long time. We heard your husband died, we heard your two sons died. Man, what happened? Well, here's what I think happened. Type it away. And that's when Naomi's bitterness, that's rooted in her heart, just erupts like a volcano towards these women that greet her in Bethlehem. Notice how she expresses her bitterness. Now, she does two things. Number one, Naomi blamed God for her disappointment. She blamed God for her disappointment. You see, Naomi's hopeful expectations bumped heads with her harsh reality, and that jolt, oh man, it made her bitter. But what really galled her was God's role in her disappointment. She blamed God for her bitterness. In essence, her attitude's coming out and she's saying, God has ruined my life. And we see this in Naomi's play on words in verse 20 when she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. And her name, and this is the play on words, it means pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now, Mara, or bitter, was exactly the right name for Naomi right now in her life. This name Mara, it was a name with history. And it's not by accident she chooses this name for herself. If you go back to Exodus chapter 15, you can read about the history of this name. It's a history of God's people rebelling at his perceived lack of provision uh, for their needs. It was at Mara, if you remember, in the wilderness that the children of Israel grumbled against God because they didn't have any water to drink, and what they did found it was what? Bitter. And their grumbling, get this, comes only a few short days after God performed one of the greatest miracles of all time. Remember what that miracle was? They're fleeing the Egyptian army. They come to what barrier? The Red Sea. And what does God do for them? He parts it. He delivers them. And just a few days after that, you find these people grumbling and complaining. Where's God now? Naomi. Like her ancestor, her heart was angry with God for the way her life was turning out. And she was experiencing the pain of disappointment in life and felt God was to blame. But what did God do for His people in spite of their grumbling in that wilderness? What did God do for that, in that bitter water? He turned it into sweet. He turned bitterness into sweetness. And Naomi's apparently forgotten that what God could do there. Naomi may be bitter now, but God wants to make her sweet again. Oh, man, that's the power of God, isn't it? So Naomi comes home as a bitter old woman. And she blames God for her disappointment. But not only that, notice number two, Naomi blamed God for her deprivation. She blames God for her deprivation. How many of you are familiar with those those TV commercials, especially for... Uh, weight loss clinics where they have a before and after picture. You know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. You know, the pictures, 
of the same person side by side. The picture before shows the person overweight, and the after picture shows the person slimmer, and, and, and the clinic gets the credit for the big change. Well, in case you're not familiar, I have an example of one. It's come, it should be coming up on the screen. Before and after. You say, before and after what? Take your pick. I don't know. I don't know. I don't see a lot of difference there, do you? It's kind of funny, ain't it, Dad? Before and after. My mom's got a huge grin on her face. I can't believe you did that. Anyways. Notice Naomi's before and after picture. Get a load of this. Look at it. It's coming up on the screen. Naomi's before and after picture says, I went away full but the Lord has brought me back empty. I left here with everything. Now I'm left with absolutely nothing. Except the big difference for Naomi, listen, she looked worse in her after picture than the before picture. You see, in her opinion, in her mindset and perspective, the before picture was a happy one. It was certainly full as Naomi stood with her whole family in the picture on the day they left Bethlehem for Moab. Oh yeah, they were hungry, but they were happy. But her after picture is dreary. It's filled with disappointment and grief. And it was certainly empty as Naomi stood alone on the day she returned to Bethlehem. In fact, she's so bitter she doesn't even notice Ruth in her picture. So Naomi came home. Not only looking but also feeling like a bitter old woman. She felt God had deprived her of her loved ones, and in her eyes, God had committed highway robbery, stealing her husband and sons and leaving her empty. And to strengthen her point, Naomi added, Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, let's step back for a moment, and let's talk about this. Because honestly, what's your first reaction to Naomi? I I don't know about you, but I must confess, I love Naomi's honesty here. I love how real she is about what's going on inside of her. I love the fact that she doesn't try to hide what's in her heart. She just blurts it all out. I love that about her. Now, there's some things where she needs to refocus. But let me tell you, she's not afraid to just tell it like it is. Here's, how, here's where I'm at in life. Here's the reality of my situation and where I'm at inside in my heart. She runs to God's people and she just tells them, here's where I'm at, here's what's in my heart. Let me ask you, how many of you, and don't raise your hand, are bitter with God. You're disappointed with God. In fact, you may be here today and you feel like God has abandoned you. Listen, if, if that's your feeling, if that's what's going through your mind and that's what's in your heart, listen, at least be honest about it. Don't just sweep it under the rug. Put it in the closet and shut the door and hope it goes away. Because it's not. At least be honest about it. Acknowledge your disappointment with God. 
and confess your bitterness, I would suggest to a trusted friend, but not just any friend, a friend who's a growing believer in Christ. Confess, hey, here's what's going on in my heart in, a small, in your small group. And if you don't want to do it with your whole small group, maybe just a group of ladies or a group of men, two or three of them, say, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what's going on with me now. And then ultimately, confess it to God because God knows how you're feeling anyways. He knows what's in your heart. But all this brings up another question. And it brings up a rather important question about Naomi's theology. A question about, is her view of God at this point in her life, is it right or is it wrong? Now, for the record, I'll just say, I'll take Naomi's theology any day over the sentimental views of God that dominate so much of our culture and media today. Naomi's theology, right or wrong, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. For Naomi, at this point in her life, her circumstances indicated that God is great, but he's not good. God is great, but he's not good. What we're talking about here are two doctrines, and folks, listen to me, two doctrines that must be held together. And those two doctrines are God is both sovereign or great, and God is good. And what I mean by that, God is sovereign in that he is the creator of the universe. God is sovereign because as the creator, he rules and he reigns in all the affairs of men. And at the same time, God is good in that he works everything out for his redemptive purposes. These two truths, these two doctrines must be held together at all times. Why is that? Because if you cling to one but not the other, you will end up with a very insufficient and dangerous view of God. For example, if you only believe that God is sovereign, but He's not good, you will know that God is in control. But you will also think, my God is cruel, He's mean, he's unjust, and he doesn't care about what's happening in this world. He doesn't care about 9-11. He doesn't care about tsunamis and earthquakes. And most of all, he doesn't care about my life and what's going on with me. And folks, that is not the God of the Bible. But if you only believe that God is good and he's not sovereign, you will end up with a God who, oh, he loves me, he cares about me, he wants the best for me, he, he just, he's all, well, he's like one big teddy bear that I can just love. But he has no power to intervene in your life. He has no power to intervene in history to accomplish his purposes in your life and in the world of history. And that is the redemptive purpose. You see, at this point in her life, Naomi is only sure about one thing. God is great. He's sovereign, but he's not good. So consequently, she responds with despair in light of her disappointing circumstances. But Naomi is mistaken. She's wrong to measure God's goodness by her level of happiness or her immediate circumstances in life. She's making a huge mistake here. But folks, listen, we do the same thing, don't we? 
We judge God's love for us. We judge God's goodness by how many of our desires are met. And when our desires don't materialize, our attitude reveals what we really think and believe about God. Such as when the circumstances of our life goes badly for us. We're tempted to assume that it's because God is out to get us. Or when life is hard, even when the difficulties are a direct result of our own disobedience and sin, we want to blame God for our pain and loss and disappointment in life. And the result of this attitude is our hearts become so filled with bitterness that we completely miss the marks of God's graciousness and His goodness at work in our life, even in the midst of the difficulties. We're blind to it. And so like Naomi, we may be so busy emphasizing our emptiness that we miss the fact that God has emptied our hands in order to fill them with something so much better for us. But all we can see is empty hands. And because we believe God is sovereign, but He's not good, we don't have a concept and an idea that God wants to fill our hands with something so much better. And so although Naomi recognized and at the same time resented God's sovereign power in her life, the real problem is she forgot God's good purposes are at work in the worst of times. She forgot the story of Joseph who was sold as a slave by his brothers and later framed by Potiphar's adulterous wife and put into prison. Let me tell you, Joseph had every reason to say with Naomi, the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. But he kept his faith and he turned to God. And when he did, God turned it all for his personal good and for the national good of Israel. In fact, you can go to Genesis 50, verse 20, and you find the key lesson there when Joseph looks at his brother, brothers when they're reunited and he says to them, but as for you, oh, you brothers, you meant sin for me, you meant evil for me, you meant abuse for me, but God, he meant it all for good. He was working all along behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes in my life and in the life of humanity. So Naomi's right, on one hand, to believe in a sovereign God who reigns in the affairs of people and even gives each day both its pain and its pleasure. But she needs to open her eyes, open her heart to the signs of God's grace and goodness at work. Think about it. It was God who, in verse 6, visited His people in giving them bread. Folks, you understand what that means? God, God didn't just abandon His people. He cares for them. He visited them. He intervened on behalf of their life in giving them bread and opened a way home for Naomi. And notice God's goodness at the end of verse 22 when it says, Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of what? Barley harvest. Whoa, that's hope. When you've been in a famine, the famine is gone and God's blessing has arrived. It's a whole new season in Bethlehem. And if Naomi could only see what this is going to mean. Not only that, but Naomi needs to open her eyes to Ruth. 
She's so blind to Ruth. What a blessing of God's grace and goodness. And yet, as she and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, what does Naomi say in verse 21? The Lord has brought me home empty. What does that make Ruth? She's so full of bitterness. She can't see the goodness of God in Ruth. What what if? what, What would Naomi say if she could see that in Ruth she would gain a son, and that this son would be the great grandfather or be the grandfather of the greatest king of Israel, and that this king would foreshadow the king of kings, Jesus Christ. What do you think Naomi would say then? I think Naomi would say, God is great, and in his greatness, he is both gracious and good. So, what lesson do we take away from all this? What do we go home with today for our own lives on September 11th, 10 years later from the greatest tragedy in our nation? Well, for starters, folks, listen to me. We don't have to respond like Naomi with despair to disappointments in life. Instead, when you feel God has abandoned you, acknowledge your disappointment by turning to God for hope. Because in His greatness, God is gracious and He is good. Listen, the story of Naomi teaches us, and oh, it's such a hard lesson to learn. This story teaches us that God does not enter into a relationship with us in order to give us everything that we think we want in life. God draws Himself to us so that we might find security and contentment and peace and joy in Him. And to get us to that point, God sometimes uses difficult times to show us our need to depend on Him. In fact, God may bring us to a point of emptiness in order to demonstrate His greatness and goodness are at work in our lives. This was the lesson God was teaching Naomi. And folks, I'm telling you, it's the lesson he wants to teach me. It's the lesson he wants to teach you. So if you're here this morning and you're disappointed, be honest about it. Blurt it out. Let it out. Tell a growing believer. Tell God. Be honest about your disappointment, but don't forget, turn to God for hope. Because in his greatness, he is gracious and good. Man, I love what David writes in Psalm 27. Look at it in your notes. David says, I would have what? Despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Listen, if your life has fallen apart, if your life is filled with disappointment, if your future looks hopeless, then learn from Naomi that God is at work to give you a future and hope. Turn to Him, trust Him, and wait patiently on Him. Listen, you don't have to respond with despair when you feel God has abandoned you. You can respond with hope. Why? Because God is great. 
And in his greatness, he is gracious and he is good.